Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Oh boy, Overnight America continues with what I thought was a great piece of history. If you missed that, you can rewind to about uh, 8.30 or so and listen to the conversation that we had regarding this exhibit that's coming to the history museum at the end of August, that nine, uh, the 1878 recorded tinfoil, the f- earliest known playable audio that uh, make sure I phrase it the right way. The oldest audio recorded that you can still play today. It goes all the way back to 1878 here in St. Louis is when it was recorded, and it'll be back here as part of that exhibit. Such a cool thing. We're going to post a photo of that tinfoil on my Facebook page here in a little bit, Ryan Recker Radio. So I wanted to point out a few things. There's another There's another wrinkle into the whole Andrew Cuomo scandal that's happening in New York, one thing after another. I mean, how many women have come forward already? I think the number is about uh, 1,001. So more and more women come back, say they were sexually harassed or somehow sexually assaulted, by Andrew Cuomo, real creepy activities, one after another, some of them former employees, some of them current employees, as he abused his power as governor, and more and more women come out and give their account of the creepy things that he was doing. This also is piled on top of the problems he had with the nursing homes themselves and the decisions he was making. Was he hiding numbers? Was he giving fraudulent numbers? Was he lying about it? Was he purposely trying to make sure these things were hidden? And because of it, People were making the wrong decisions in their own states because everyone was saying, oh, look at just Andrew Cuomo is the perfect governor. Oh, he's so great. Why can't we have more governors like Andrew Cuomo? And we find out that his lies were contributing to thousands of seniors lives inside of these nursing homes. Pretty terrible. Real, real terrible. Huge moral dilemma, too, for New York and Andrew Cuomo. But now we find the very latest scandal that has hit. Apparently, he was prioritizing COVID testing for his relatives, including his brother, which is Chris Cuomo, CNN anchor. What a surprise. Interesting. So you abused your power in order to give preferential treatment to your family members. We're not talking about family members inside of your own home. We're talking about outside of your home, too. We're talking about adults. (laughs) Think of it this way. If 
this were anyone else and they said we make we need to test the family members who are living inside the home because they're coming in contact with the governor i don't think anyone would have argued that i don't think people would have said yeah you know the kids of course the wife of course you got to test this sort of thing the people close to them sure of course you got to test them and because if they're going to be talking to each other as they're trying to fight this pandemic we need to make sure that they are covid free now this is the very onset of covid when testing was really hard to get i mean Remember when, if any individual had suspected COVID, that you would have to get a test or maybe the health department would tell you to, and you would have to wait sometimes two weeks to get a result because what would happen is they would take that test, they would send it to a lab, one of the labs that were approved for testing. And these labs were running 24 hours a day trying to keep up with the backlog because there's only certain amount of labs that were able to test these things. And they were just nonstop cranking these out one after another after another, and they had to ship them. So that became a big hassle. I think even when the president contracted COVID, President Trump, they had to do the same thing. They had to ship off the test somewhere else in order to determine these sort of things. So you have instances where we know that rapid testing was possible. As in, hey, if you're the president of the United States, you get preferential treatment. Should New York's governor's brother, who's a news anchor for CNN, be out there getting treatment and preferential treatment, I should say? Let me put it this way. Here I am sitting in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're talking about these vaccines. And people say, are you getting the vaccine? Are you getting the vaccine? You know, I'm still working in the luxury of my own home. I don't feel like I should be bumped up above teachers or anyone that's elderly or someone that's out there with pre-existing conditions. You have people here, and there's that one great example from KMOV where he's over in Creve Corps. He had to drive, what, two mile or two uh, hours up north to go get one, and then two hours back. It was something like two and a half, four and a half hour round trip or something, five hour round trip. He had to drive that far to get a vaccine. And he's saying, this is ridiculous. I shouldn't have to drive two hours to go get a vaccine if I'm living here in St. Louis. This is ridiculous. Here, And this is me. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I should be bumping anyone that needs this sort of thing. People are saying, if I get the flu, I could die. You know, I'm not in good health here. So these vaccines are important to me and my family. Let them get the vaccine. I'm fine. I, I can hold off and wait, and I don't have to jump in line or anything like that. And that's fine with me. I'm perfectly fine with that. But not if you're Chris Cuomo. (laughs) If you're Chris Cuomo, he's calling up his brother saying, hey, I need you to bump me up above everyone else. Why? Because I'm your brother, and I'm on CNN. Look at me. I'm on CNN. Don't you think he should have had a little common sense to realize that there are some pretty, uh, pretty top priorities, and maybe him just being the brother is not one of them? You think he would have figured this out? I could figure it out, okay? <laughs> if, if I could figure this out, he should be able to figure this out. So here's uh, what they found. Medical officials enlisted to do the testing often took place in private residences. So you had these workers of the state show up to Chris Cuomo's place, take the test, and personally deliver these things. So they're using the resources of the government, your taxpayer money, in order to cater to the brother of the governor, in this case, Chris Cuomo at CNN. In CNN, by the way, what a lousy statement. They asked them about it, and their statement was essentially, well, I guess you would ask your brother, too, if you were in his position. Oh, give me a break. Give me a break. Another scandal to add on top of it. So he's got the nursing home scandals. He's got all these women coming out talking about sexual harassment. And now the third one is preferential treatment using government resources to give your family members, not even inside of your own home, but your family members, 
extra treatment. You got to be kidding me with this. Why do, how could anyone support him at this point? How could anyone support Andrew Cuomo? What a joke. And it also goes to show you if you are on CNN and you call yourself a news anchor like Chris Cuomo would, he goes in and they call themselves news reporters. All of their shows. Oh, I'm Don Lemon, a news reporter. Yeah, right. So all of them sit there and they give this impression they're unbiased or whatever it is when they're absolutely not. He's involved with all of this. It makes me wonder, too, if he's involved with this testing and getting preferential treatment. What did he know about all these women that came forward? Did he know that his brother was going around sexually harassing people? Did he know anything or did he hear anything and not report it? Was he fully aware that women were coming forward and saying, I don't like the way your brother was treating me? Um, Is it possible that maybe he was involved in some of this, too? Is it possible that it's more than just the testing? Is it possible that he can get caught up in all the other scandals? Maybe not the nursing home one because he doesn't have a government clearance or the ability to make these sort of decisions. But certainly the women thing very well could be. We know he's got a hot head. We know he's not great at interacting with other people. Who knows how else he treats women or whatever it may be. Just keep that in mind. This is CNN. (laughs) So what a joke. All right. This has got to be pointed out and got to be corrected. And if you're Andrew Cuomo, how many other things do you want to come out? Because, you know, there's more. Yeah. If if, uh, he thinks he's good up until now, wait until everything else they keep bringing out on him. Uh, When we come back, I wanted to bring something else too. a little bit of math that was being done points out just how ridiculous immigration is right now on the southern border and what it has to do with how we're attracting and housing people that are entering into this country illegally and giving them hotel rooms because the facilities are so overburdened at the moment. So ICE just signed a contract, a six-month contract, to provide beds for some extra people here that have entered illegally. And they're spending, what, about $87 million on these contracts. So let me break the numbers down for you after the break. It's pretty ridiculous how much money is being spent on the southern border right now. And this is the result. This is Overnight America KMOX. Earning St. Louis's trust for 96 years. This is KMOX. Neat. Welcome back. So I wanted to get to a few other things that... We have time for, and we got about 10 minutes or here. So if you want to call in before our guest at uh, 930-ish, and we're going to talk to the author of a book called Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. I love that title, The Threats of Doom. Uh, Dr. Patrick Moore is going to join us after the weather in about 15 minutes from now. So there's a story on KMOX.com, and since we're talking about corruption and things that are done on a government level, yes, the Tisby perjury case stemming from the Greitens case going back a few years with Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, still alive and well, apparently. So this is the story with uh, Missouri Governor, former Missouri Governor Greitens in the news saying that he wants to run for the U.S. Senate, at least announcing that he plans on running for it. What's going on with that case? The case where there was no evidence to charge Eric Greitens and you get an indictment based on evidence that doesn't exist. And then you move forward on it. And then when it comes time to present your evidence, you say, oh, doesn't exist with this uh, photograph that was apparently transmitted, the crime of transmitting this photograph. So we get all to this point. Circuit attorney's office doesn't have evidence. Let that be very concerning to you, by the way, that they will prosecute you with zero evidence. However, when you have evidence, 
like, I don't know, an admission and a weapon and a bullet coming back to a person after a, a child was shot and killed in St. Louis. They won't prosecute that. The feds have to come in and take care of it on different charges. You know, that, that's not enough evidence to have someone in the area admitting to the shooting, knowing they shot it, evidence that they shot it, the weapon and the motive and the proximity and all of these things. And there being no other person or shot given in that area. No, they won't prosecute that in Kim Gardner's circuit attorney's office. But if you have, let's see, a governor you don't like in a political objective, yeah, you'll prosecute that and not present evidence for it. So ultimately, the case not going anywhere. And what is left over is the perjury that came up inside the case. Now, that's a pretty big deal. If you're a lawyer and you're involving yourself in perjury, that's not a good look particularly if you're someone that's an elected official and a circuit attorney that's already controversial in the city of St. Louis. So uh, there was speculation of what might be happening with this former FBI agent, William Tisby, who was hired by Kim Gardner as part of the investigation or at least a private investigator into the Greitens case. He comes down from Michigan. You know, she hires all these outside people. Michigan, here's a Harvard lawyer, Harvard uh, professor or whatever, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these outside counsels that end up doing nothing your taxpayer money, by the way, and all the time and resources into it when she could have been actually using it to, oh, I don't know, put bad people away. There's people fleeing her office left and right. She can't keep good people there. <laughs> it's pretty bad. So this was how she decides to use her time and energy, a failed case, just like she did when it came back to the um, one case about the police officer and the one involved shooting with the drug dealer. That was the Stockley case, another loser from the circuit attorney's office. So presiding judge tells KMOX News the Tisby case is still pending, that it could happen in as little as six months. But neither the special prosecutor nor the judge are calling it for it to be scheduled yet. So it's not gone. The, the perjury is still on the table. The judge uh, is the jury trial slow to resume. The courts have other priorities. They say violent felonies, things like that. But it's not going away. And how about this? If you want to think about timing, when it comes time to run for Senate and you're Eric Reitens, and this is in the news, here, they had to lie in order to take this to trial and during, well, not even take it to trial, but at least as part of an investigation. Here's the proof. He was accused and found guilty of perjury and all the other questionable activity that went on during this led to the dismissal of the charges. This is a big thing that he would be able to use in his campaign. So if anything, I think Eric Reitens, if I were him, would go back and just vindicate yourself by ripping apart Kim Gardner's attorney uh, privileges and everything that she used in order to prosecute you based on political affiliation, not facts or evidence. So keep that in mind. This is going to work in Eric Wrighton's favor. You could hate Eric Wrighton, but I want you to keep in mind, this is just going to be, let's say Eric Wrighton somehow gets the nomination. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I still think he's got a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage. But let's just say hypothetically he does. It's going to be thanks to Kim Gardner. Just keep that in mind in her uh, inability to do the job properly, or at least honestly. How about this? I saw this one statement that was put out by ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And I just want to point out how ridiculous some of these different uh, unnecessary spending is in the city of St. Louis. Uh, excuse me, not the city of St. Louis. I'm still thinking about the Tisby thing. But in general taxpayer money being used when it comes to the southern border and how they're trying to handle this sort of thing. The crisis continuing to get worse and worse thanks to the Biden administration's policies that they decide to uh, implement. So here's what they said. Uh, U.S. Immigration and Custom Enforcement, ICE, has signed a short-term contract 
with a nonprofit division of Endeavors to provide temporary shelter and processing services for families who have not been expelled and are therefore placed in immigration proceedings for their removal from the United States. So not expelled, waiting proceedings for removal. So keep in mind, it takes some time for that to happen. What they decided to do was put together a six-month plan, and they're going to spend $86.9 million for 1,239 beds. 1,239 beds and other necessary services. $86.9 million. So I decided to do a little math, okay? So six months, 1,239 beds. So we'll say for six months, 180 days. We'll just roughly take 30 days in a month, six months, 180 days. So if we're going to take that, well, t- 1,239 times 180 days, that's basically 223,020 total beds that will be covered in total over those six months. You know, So if you take the beds and you look at the contract total and then you divide them, roughly taxpayers are paying $390 a night per bed. $390 a night per bed. When we're talking about housing and beds and shelter for people that are entering this country, keep in mind this is taxpayer money, okay? $390 a night? What kind of place are they staying in? You know, it can't be a $390 a night hotel. That's not possible, is it? And why would they choose that? If you want to look at how much each bed is going to cost over the length of six months, so the contract is six months long, of total, one hundred or 1,239 beds, they're going to spend $70,000 a bed, seventy grand a bed over the six months for that contract. Think of it this way. Uh, when they pass these stimulus packages and they jam in as much as they can that they say is for your benefit, they dangle this little check in front of your face. You'll get $1,400. Think about that'll save you. That'll, that's going to pull you out of poverty, $1,400. Okay, whatever. $1,400 is going to pull you out of poverty, huh? Think about everything else they put into it, all the hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that go to things that are not COVID-related. When they did a study of this, it was only like 10% of the money spent in this $1.9 trillion actually went to fighting COVID. They were spending money for the arts. They were spending money to send overseas to other countries. They were putting money into all kinds of different programs that have nothing to do with it. Why? Because when you jam all of it in there and you say, but if you don't sign this, you don't like the American people. Don't you hate Americans? Blah, 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 blah. You may have lost your job. You may have found yourself underemployed. You may have found yourself losing benefits because your company went to you and said, well, we can't continue this benefit because we can't afford it. But, hey, you like your job, right? So it's better than losing it. So let's do this. You have all these other problems going on in the world. You may have lost your business. You may have lost your coworkers. You may have lost family members, all of these things. I want you to remember this. Over the past, oh, I don't know, nine months or so that they were trying to debate what to do with this next stimulus package and everything that went into it. But, you know, they put one at the end of December and then they decided to push another one here towards the end. So what we've had two stimulus packages passed in the past 10 months, is it? Okay. Altogether, you got $2,000 and what they're going to do is spend someone in this country waiting to be deported or at least see a trial. They're going to spend on them $70,000, $70,000. 
Just keep that in perspective, okay? How messed up things are right now in the way that they try to frame these things. They're benefiting from the ability to wait trial here thanks to the welcome mat that the Biden administration has laid out for them. And there's no denying there's no denying that there's a problem on the southern border. Massive problem. The Biden administration won't let the press to go down and look. They won't let them inspect for themselves. They're not allowed to see how the operations go. They're not allowed to criticize it because every time they bring it up, they like to deny that it's a crisis. They won't call it that. It is bad. And it's no fault of Donald Trump right now that things have gotten worse. Things were bad to begin with. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't a, a, a dream scenario at the southern border. But it's not Donald Trump's fault that things got worse after he left office. 100%, 100% Joe Biden in his administration, his policies, allowing this to get this far down and allowing through his, through his impressions and uh, everything else that go into it, he has not done enough to try to prevent this and to get it to the point where things have boiled over. It's almost like, um, in a way, he's turned the heat up on this and is surprised that finally when the water starts boiling over the pan, oh, this is Trump's fault. So when we come back, a few things I want to get to. Dr. Patrick Moore is the author of a book called Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. We're going to get to him after the break. And then in the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to play some more from Joe Biden's press conference, his first one in 60-some days in office. What did he say? What were the questions that were asked? And did you get a chance to see it? We'll talk to you about it, too, coming up on Overnight America KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinals Open Live. Sponsored in part by Norm's Bargain Barn and Wilkie Windows. On your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. He is a co-founder of Greenpeace, and he's got a book called Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Dr. Patrick Moore, welcome to Overnight America. Thanks, Ryan. Good to be with you. I like the wording, threats of doom. That, to me, seems like an everyday occurrence. You turn on the <laughs> yeah, news or you read any website, it's a nonstop threat of doom. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only thing that doesn't remind you of doom is looking out your own window, because when you talk to your neighbors, you don't really get that feeling of doom and gloom. It, it's mostly the narrative that is pushed on you by a lot of the national media and things like that. So I wanted to talk to you about the ideas of your book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom and the things that you talk about. 
Yeah, well, one good news is that it's number one for environmental science on Amazon.com, which is pretty well the gold standard for a book. Wow. And uh, I'm really happy about that because it means people are ordering it, reading it, and recommending it. And it, it was written because after 50 years of environmentalism, and the first 15 was with Greenpeace, uh, I realize that nearly all the scare stories that are meant to make people afraid of the future and of, for their children and, and make the children afraid of their own future too are based on things that are either invisible, like carbon dioxide, nuclear radiation, whatever is supposed to be bad in GMOs, which they can't show you in, on, in a picture or it, it actually doesn't even have a name or a chemical formula, and yet they say it's there. It's not there. They're faking. And then there's all the things that are remote, like polar bears and coral reefs, things that are far away so no one can actually check for themselves to see if they're being told the truth. And then on the other hand, the people who are benefiting from these scare stories are the activists for donations, the media for sensationalism and readership and advertising, the politicians saying they'll save your grandchildren if you'll vote for them, and the scientists who are on serial government grants telling people that the climate is going to get too hot for life on Earth and, and all these things about how the world is going to come to an end, etc., scaring everybody in order to make their living, and, mm. and nobody can check it for themselves. So if you can think of a scare story where people can easily check it for themselves, I haven't thought of one myself yet. So tell me about when you think things started to stray, because obviously when you were younger and, you know, you're co-founding Greenpeace, things like that, you didn't have this type of uh, mentality, did you? Uh, No, because we were doing things that actually needed to be done, like stopping the threat of all out nuclear war, saving the whales, stopping toxic waste from being dumped and killing all the rivers, things like that. We did good work in the early years and we focused on things that were real. But then, as time went on, uh, somehow or other, the, the, the piece in the Greenpeace, which was about saving civilization from nuclear war in the beginning, uh, the green being the environment, of course, the piece kind of got dropped. And suddenly, my fellow environmentalists were referring to humans as the enemies of the earth, the enemies of nature, as if we were the only bad species out of 1.7 million species that live on this planet. It's too much like original sin for me. I'm not a fire and brimstone kind of guy. And I especially know as an ecologist that all the species on Earth came from the same source of life. We all evolved together on this planet for the last three billion years, apparently, which is quite a long time. So we represent the, the, the evolution of life. Not, we're not some devil that came from Mars. And then, and then of course, the fossil fuels which are now being demonized as as if they were from Mars, are actually the most precious energy source we have. For some reason, it makes up 80% of our energy. That's because it's so useful for so many things. And they're saying we should get rid of it. Well, in fact, the carbon dioxide from fossil fuels is part of the food for all of life on Earth. As a matter of fact, the fossil fuels were made from life. They were made from trees and, 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 and species in the sea that sank to the bottom and made the sediments that produced the oil and gas. 
the coal was made from forests. Those those forests and those species in the sea used the sun and photosynthesis to make themselves, and they sucked up CO2 in order to make their carbon-based life, which is all life. So they've got it completely backwards. We could use more CO2 to make the earth greener, and it wouldn't be a bad thing if it got a little warmer. Carbon dioxide is 100% positive for life on planet Earth. You know, it makes me wonder with some of the other different analysis that come out and the opinions vary. Do you see that people look at the data differently or do you think they're purposely manipulating it or are they completely ignoring it? Well, in a lot of cases, they don't even understand it. I mean, science is a fairly complicated subject. And if you if, if you just buy into the propaganda, you, you just say things like, oh, the science is settled or there's an overwhelming consensus and you're just a denier. Uh, you know, there's not really any substance to those kinds of uh, that kind of talk. And what you really need to do is dig down deep into the history of life on Earth, the history of the climate on Earth, the history of carbon dioxide, the history of temperature, and all of those things. And that's all in my book. There's over a hundred color photographs, illustrations, and graphs in my book that really help understand and. And, and, and bring to life what I'm talking about. The book is not written for scientists. It's written for people who have a good command of English from grade nine up and who can, you know, and when I do use a scientific word that I know isn't that commonly understood, I explain exactly what it means. That's why people are buying the book, reading it, and giving it five stars in almost every case in the more than 100 reviews I've had now on Amazon. You don't get many reviews per reader, but when you do get reviews, they're, 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 you know, they mean something, and it really is getting a lot of good reviews, and that is part of the reason it's number one in environmental science and in environmental ecology. I don't really understand what the difference is between those two. I guess science is a broader category, and ecology is a narrower one, mm. but nevertheless, it's, it's, on, to it's on top of the heap. That's great. Dr. Patrick Moore, author of the book Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, joining us here on Overnight America. And I'm looking at some of the different reviews on Amazon, and you have a lot of five-star reviews, so I obviously want to go look at the one-star reviews to see what people uh, are saying. And one of the things they uh, mention here, this is QAnon lunacy, which makes me wonder, because you talk about how they try to phrase this as an all scientists in the world, it's, it's unanimous, they all agree on, and then they fill in the blank and say, something like that which is really not the yep. case it's a great way to it's a it's a nice thing to say if you're trying to trick people into believing what you say as in hey you have to join my uh my mob in order to uh you, you're either right or you're or you're not with us and that's part of the problem i think people will look at these things and look at arguments that are laid out and look at statistics and facts and look how things are politicized in order to spin things into the way they want it. And if they, if otherwise, if it doesn't match whatever the narrative that they have, they'll say, Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Yes, but that's not a book review. And that isn't even an intelligent comment to that. Conspiracy theorist is basically calling someone a name. And if you're going to call someone a conspiracy theorist, you have to lay it out. And all of the one and two star reviews on my book on Amazon are basically personal attacks to call me QAnon. I don't even know what that is. I'm on Vancouver Island. We don't have any of those here, whatever they are, you know, and uh -huh. and somebody said I'm being paid by the nuclear 
Energy Institute. That was 10 years ago. And I was co-chair with Christy Todd Whitman, former governor of New Jersey, on a, on a group that was promoting new nuclear energy in the United States. I don't see how that disqualifies me from telling the truth. So, yeah. you know, you know, there's there's most most of the negative stuff is basically just trying to discredit me with with personal attacks. It's not really a book review. The people who are giving me the five star reviews are actually commenting on what's in the book and what parts of it they liked and stuff like that. And so you're going to get you're always going to get a, a, a couple of nutcases anyways, no matter no matter what you do. But it, it does have an extremely good record for reviews. It's in the about 92%, I think, is what they give me. Even though they count one one-star review out of 100 as 3%, which strikes <laughs> me that one out of 100 is 1%, not 3%. Yeah. I get that. See, you and your statistics. Uh, fake invisible yeah. <laughs> catastrophes and threats of doom. So I let's talk about use, the... I would use oh. mathematics, wouldn't I? <laughs> The threats of doom. So I want to talk to you about that, the threats of doom and the way things are laid out and things that are brought up to the table that are very threatening. And that's the thing. Uh, when, when people use that as a way, as a tool almost, uh, it's used as a tool in a way to scare a lot of different people. And what do you think is out there that is most easily debunked when it comes to threats of doom? Well, just first I'll say invisible catastrophes are things that they say are happening now, like climate change destroying the world. They say it's already an emergency, already a catastrophe. Threats of doom are things they're saying are going to happen in the future, like okay. polar bears are going to go extinct. They're not saying they're extinct now. But the truth of polar bears, for example, is that nobody is being told that in 1973, wildlife biologists warned the governments around the North Pole United States, Russia, Norway, Canada, that the polar bears were being overhunted. It had become too easy for people to go up there and, and get, hire an in, Inuit guide and go and get a few rugs for in front of their fireplace. And the, 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 they were being decimated, basically. And there, there, aren't, you know, there aren't normally a, a huge number of polar bears. They're, they're, they're not like rabbits. I mean... They're, they're way on top of the food chain, so there, there, there aren't many thousands of them to begin with. And since then, when a treaty was signed to end restricted hunt, unrestricted hunting on polar bears, their population has grown from about 6,000 to about 40 to 50,000 today. They're, they are in no way endangered, not even slightly, and they are fat and happy. And actually, <laughs> the warming of the Arctic has been beneficial to them because the summer ice recedes further than it did, well, 50 years ago. And that means the sun can shine on the ocean and grow the plankton, which feeds the fish and feeds the seals and feeds the bears. And so there's, there's nothing to worry about the polar bears at this time. In fact, the people who live up there, the Inuit, have passed legislation recently to protect themselves from there being so many polar bears. They say it's overpopulated at this point in time, and that never gets in the news. And neither does the fact that that treaty was signed and prevented the continued lowering of the population, the decimation of them by hunters. That was the problem. But that was a long time ago, nearly 50 years. So the polar bears are fine. Same with the coral reefs. The, mm -hmm. the most biodiverse coral reefs grow in the warmest oceans in the world. 
in the Coral Triangle of Indonesia and Philippines and the Solomon Islands. That's the warmest oceans have the most abundant corals. And yet they're saying if it gets warmer, the corals will go extinct. No, they will spread out more because they like warmer oceans than most places. There's no coral reefs in Alaska, nor off the coast of New York City. So, or in Washington State, you have to go into tropical and subtropical waters to find coral reefs. So yeah. that all, of, all of these scare stories are fake based on either invisible or such remote places. But actually, if you think of the polar bears and the coral reefs, they're blamed on climate change. And that's blamed on CO2. So the stories about the coral reefs and polar bears are actually being blamed on invisible CO2, which nobody can see what it's doing because you can't sense it. It, yeah. is, it is totally invisible. And, and therefore, they can make up any old story they want about it. And that's what they're doing to scare people so they can control them on one hand and make a lot of money on the other. Well, yeah, let's talk about that after the break. But you're, you're right about the coral reef thing. And it's funny because it's when we try to meddle in change nature's path that things get screwed up. Because how many times have you seen where they tried to use like old tires for artificial coral reefs and it never works? It's, it never really substitute the way nature balances itself out. And let me also point out in term of polar bears, fat and happy is a great way to live if you're a polar bear. So good for them to continue to uh, grow in population size. Joining us here is the author of the book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, Dr. Patrick Moore. By the way, if people wanted to find your book, is Amazon the best place to go? Amazon.com in the United States of America. And there's Amazons all over the world that have it too, in England and France and Canada and Japan and Australia, etc. Great. We'll uh, continue with Dr. Patrick Moore right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Here we are in Overnight America. Thanks again for spending time with us. And we got a couple more minutes with someone that wrote a book you can go and find on Amazon, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, Dr. Patrick Moore. Again, thank you for the time tonight. Oh, you're very welcome, Ryan. It's a pleasure. So you're in Canada. And in Canada, I'm guessing the impression of all of the different things you talk about are a little bit different among Canadians than here in the United States. Is that fair to say? No, not too much, actually. We're pretty much following now the same pattern as the United States. I think we took the lead on that when we voted, uh, voted Justin Trudeau in as our prime minister. He is putting a huge carbon tax on all the fossil fuels, even though we're one of the world's biggest fossil fuel producers. We supply the United States with half the oil it imports, and yet they're canceling the pipeline that is supposed to deliver it to the U.S., yes. and that means they're sending it in rail cars instead, which are not as safe mm -hmm. as pipelines. And uh, right. we kind of wonder about the billionaires that are on the railroads. Uh, you know, th they seem to be encouraging this cancellation of the pipelines. Uh, but it's, it's really unfair what's happening to Canada in that regard. It's actually United States organizations like the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation in Manhattan that are leading the effort to destroy Canada's oil industry. And we're, we're a bit vulnerable, like they say about Canada, when the elephant rolls over, it's kind of hard on the mouse. And you're the elephant, and we're the mouse, of course. Mm -hmm. 
it's fascinating how it's all playing out the way it is. That's not the way I thought it would, but you're right when it comes to transporting. If the oil is going to go somewhere, if it's not going through a pipeline, and it might not be as economical or safe or even environmentally friendly to do it other ways because the pipeline was uh, working pretty well for itself. And we look here in the United States, the price of energy continues to rise, and that really has an impact on all of our other goods. Energy is a big uh, deal, and everyone talks about it. But when we look at alternate energy and incentives for alternate energy, to me, when I look at it, I say, yes, we have different methods that are being developed. And if they want to find a way to make it economical and people decide to choose that on their own, this is great. But when we find governments forcing it and forcing out other things and playing you know, unfair treatment of things, that's when we look at the political side of things. Is there a political angle to this? So when you look at things like uh, global warming and you look at how other countries get involved, how much of this is politics? About 100%, uh, maybe 99.5. You know, basically, China's just got to pass till 2060. Uh, I'm going to be dead by then, and my kids will be old. Um, It's ridiculous. I mean, China, India, and Russia are not buying into this climate change nonsense. They're going full speed ahead, and they're not putting any limitation on their fossil fuels. At the same time, all three of them are building nuclear plants. And, and, and building new designed nuclear plants. They're way ahead of the United States now in the technology and, and in the construction of new plants. And at the same time, China burns the same amount of coal, actually a bit more than all the other countries in the world together. And the United States is not saying to China, you got to cut your fossil fuels too. They're not saying that. Yet they're saying that, that we have to cut fossil fuels here in the Western democracies and cripple our economies. It, it makes no sense from anything but somebody's warped political point of view. I can yeah. assure you of that. Well, let me point out, too, they cheer them, you know, because they are in the Paris Accord and we want it out because of the unfair treatment in countries like China. But, you know, they don't really look at the amount used and really what was promised. But either way, for the sake of time, I want to make sure people know fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom. Dr. Patrick Moore joining us. You can find the book on Amazon and it's doing really well. I'm looking at all the different charts that it's on. You got all kinds of five-star reviews. Thank you so much again for coming on tonight to Overnight America. Anytime, Ryan. Thank you very much. Dr. Patrick Moore joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America KMOX. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.